If you were to be asked to describe God to another person, how would you do so? I think that many of us, perhaps even most of us, um, start with a list of, of attributes that we've learned about God. We would say that God is good or God is loving, that God is gracious, God is strong, God is just. Pick your adjective, whatever you would name or say. Maybe there's a list of them that you would go through. And, and, and all of these are true, and we know that they're true, and we know that the, that the Scriptures teach us that they're true. But in Psalm 23, we watch as the psalmist also pursues describing God, but takes a different path. In doing so. And a quick side note, I said the psalmist, I did that intentionally because it's unclear whether or not David wrote this psalm. That's actually true with many of our psalms. Traditionally, we've assumed that David wrote all of them, but there's not biblical evidence to necessarily support that all of those were written by David. It's probably more likely that David wrote some and that other people wrote some, and that perhaps, as king, a very kingly thing to do, that David collected psalms, his own and others, and they were brought together, which is why sometimes even a passage might call it a psalm of David, not necessarily telling us he wrote it, but that it was part of the king's collection. It was part of King David's collection of these songs of worship. So I'm not going to assume that David wrote the passage, although lots of um, commentators assume that David did write this one. Others say they don't know and they're coming up with all kinds of guesses. I, I don't know. So we're just going to refer to the author as the psalmist. As the psalmist set out to describe God in Psalm 23, none of those simple adjectives that you or I might use to describe God were used. We read as intimate and personal language is used to illustrate, to describe the ways in which God worked, in which God moved. In the very beginning, in in verse 1, it starts out by saying, the Lord is my shepherd. Not a shepherd, not the shepherd, not even like a shepherd. But the passage says, the psalmist proclaims, the Lord is my shepherd. A desire from the very beginning to communicate that this is not some far off and distant God. This is not some deity that's sitting on a throne in a palace or in a, a temple or even in the heavens. But that this is a God that is, that is intimate and connected. This God is personal and caring, kind and gentle, protective. That, that word, that language to say not just in general terms, but over me, this God is personal. This God is caring, kind, gentle, protective. All the words that I mentioned, but not just in some kind of general, broad term, but specifically over the writer, over the psalmist who's penned this together. This God is known by the psalmist and the psalmist is known by God. This God is loved by the psalmist and God Loves the psalmist. This God is known and beloved. There's intimate knowledge and interaction that's taking place between the writer of the psalm and God. This is more than just some great God that one day the writer learned about and thought should be described. But instead, God is deeply known. 
God is deeply loved and God deeply loves the one who wrote it. It continues as it even moves into the the second half of that verse and it says, I have all that I need. Now, if you continue in the psalm, we find out that that's not exactly true. At least not in the way that we might imagine that it's true. Because many of us, as we think about the idea of what does it mean to have all that I need? And I don't know about you, but at least for me, that's a rather long list of things. And we find as we read the passage that the psalmist didn't have everything that I might think I need. Everything that I might think I want. Life was not perfect. There was still great difficulty in the psalmist's life. There was pain and struggle. There were enemies that are mentioned. There was suffering that was still walked through. And yet somehow the writer claims that he knew God so deeply that even though there might be other wants and desires in life, still comfortably he or she could write, I have all that I need. In the New American Standard, it translates it, I shall not want, which for many of us is a translation that we're more familiar with. What would it look like for you and for me to experience God in such a loving and complete way that even in the midst of life's struggles... Difficult jobs, difficult marriages, workplaces that we don't want to go to, bills we're unsure how we're going to pay, parents that we fight with, health issues that have crippled us, deaths that we never anticipated, responsibilities that suck the life out of us, heartbreak that we're unsure we will ever heal from as we walk through all of those difficulties what would it take for you and to me to be a people who could still say i have all that i need i shall not want the psalmist paints for us this picture of of green meadows and peaceful streams These spaces, these places that are places for rest and for nourishment. Places that we can find peace in the difficulties of daily life. A place for breakthroughs of hope and hopeless living. And it's in this waiting, in this rest, in this nourishment that the passage says strength is renewed. Wow, how many of us need renewed strength, need to find peace and hope in the difficulties of our life? How desperately does our world need the opportunity to see that there is peace and hope? As the news tells us that there is absolutely none left. Reality is, it is hard for us to find renewal in the busyness of daily living. It's hard for us to find strength when we don't take time to stop. We have to find space to come to know and trust the shepherd in this kind of deep way that we find in Psalm 23. In this kind of intimate way in which the psalmist communicates the relationship that was had with God. 
We have to find space and we find that space to know and to trust the Savior in this way when we avail ourselves of these green meadows, of these peaceful streams that God provides. The spiritual rhythms that we talk about, the spiritual practices or disciplines that from time to time come up in in our sermons or in small groups that we had, these offer us places where we can find rest, renewal, strength. When you and I are willing to take time each day to be still, to be silent, to pray, to spend time in the scriptures, we find space to rest in the metaphorical grass for a time, to be still in the presence of the shepherd. When you take a a slow, meandering walk around your community, around your neighborhood, around your workplace, knowing I'm going to intentionally take a walk with God in these moments. Not to get somewhere or to clock off all the steps on my Fitbit, but because I want to go and spend time in the presence of God. And this is how I'll do it. When you're willing to allow music to come in and to do something in you, around you, that, that brings from you a response that is worship. It is in those times, it's in those spaces that we find room to be with the shepherd. If you and I are willing to weekly practice this this thing of Sabbath that we talk about around Valley a lot. If we will take this weekly Sabbath, this time to stop and to rest, to delight, to meditate on the things of God. If we will take this stillness and create this rhythm week after week after week that we've created an empty space, a void, a time to rest in green meadows, to stand beside peaceful streams. It's here where we find room to breathe and to have our strength renewed. In the same kind of way, in bigger and more expansive ways, that's what vacation is supposed to serve as for us. I know it's not always that easy. But that's what vacation is supposed to do, is to be an extended Sabbath. A time that we think about stopping and resting, delighting and meditating. The practice of sabbatical. A scriptural practice that we watch as some some ministry folks do it, some teachers do it, as they walk into these seasons of sabbatical that they can find rest and renewal and recovery and strength. It's in this intentional space that you and I find room to know the Savior in this way, in a Psalm 23 type way. It's in this intentional space that we can learn to trust that the shepherd will bring us All that we need. Rest. Nourishment. Peace. Healing. Strength. In verse 3, the the passage goes on to tell us that it's out of this strength, it's out of this renewal that we have the ability to continue on what the passage calls right paths. Go ahead and bring it up, Jerry. Just leave verse 3 up for a while. We're going to hang out there for a minute. The writer Believed that God creates with purpose. That God has dreams for the sheep. All of the sheep. Each of the sheep. Friends, God desires to point you and me down right paths. 
God desires to show us what God's will is for our own life, for our family, for our church, for our community. This is what some of us are praying for and seeking and looking for. And God desires to show us what that looks like. You were created for beautiful things. And God wants to show you what that means and what that looks like. Too often we spend so much time wandering around endlessly, looking and searching, and that's all that we can ever do if we don't know the shepherd in this kind of intimate and personal way. We spend time wandering, endlessly searching, if we're not first delighted in the grass and the streams and the rest and the renewed strength. It's in these moments, these moments of stillness, of stopping, of rest, that the shepherd can identify for us and point us down these right paths for God's glory and for the sake of the kingdom of God. As I thought about this and I read this and I looked at the passage, I have to confess that for me and perhaps for for others, sometimes this language can sound a little bit crippling. It can sound a little bit scary or or even limiting as we think about right paths and what that looks like. We have all these questions that surface in some of us. Well, 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 what if there's only one path? What if I never find it? What if I don't know the right way to go? As I was reading this week and preparing, I read about the multitude of churches or conferences in which if you prepare a, a small group, if we were to do that at Valley, if we were to prepare a small group about knowing God's will, Statistics say the majority of us would all flock to that room with the idea that somehow we're going to learn some secret information that we don't have that's been withheld from us about the future. The thoughts of the will of God become scary and sometimes we wonder, maybe I'm better off just continuing to wander in this space. Maybe I'm better off just just hanging out in the grass because at least in the grass I know what's going on, I know where I am, I know that I'm safe. But when we read the passage and it becomes limiting for us or scary or even, even crippling, we miss the point of what the psalmist wants us to see. The point is not that we would think that there is some demanding God who's pushing us blindly down this exact path that we must follow. Or otherwise we've, we've thrown everything off in what God desired for us and for all the rest of the world. This is not a tightrope exercise. God is not a puppet master who is demanding of us precise movements and precise times and precise ways in which everything must work in order for us to be right. We were not created to be and we were never called to be robots who move in some kind of robotic fashion, simply responding and moving and going in these exact ways. Instead, what the passage shows us is that the shepherd guides sheep towards the best path, the safest way, the most ideal way for them to go. In in the best case, because the shepherd loves the sheep. In the worst case, because the sheep are the shepherd's investment. And even out of selfishness, the shepherd wants to protect the sheep. Now, we learn that God doesn't work that way. But even in the worst case, a shepherd guides sheep down the right path because it's good for the shepherd. 
So the shepherd wants the best for the sheep. The shepherd wants to protect the sheep. The shepherd wants to be with the sheep. Even more than the sheep want to find a right path, the shepherd wants them to find the right path. And as we think about God and the way in which God loves us, we're reminded that there is absolutely no reason for the shepherd to hide the path from us. The shepherd has no desire to trick us or to make it confusing, to put before us options that are insurmountable so that we can never pick the right door, assuming that only one door is the right door. The passage is not to cripple cripple us into a place that we have a fear of movement, but instead to give us security. That in the presence of the Savior, the right path will become clear. And yet at the same time, that it isn't always easy, right? In verse 4, we're reminded that that's the case. That even as we find the right path, it will sometimes still require that we have to walk through what different translations use different words to say. The darkest valley, the, the dark valley of death, the valley of the shadow of death. As some of us are familiar with translations that say that. The reality is that even on right paths, there will be dark days. There will be difficulties. But the promise of Psalm 23 is that we will not be alone even in those dark spaces. That we don't have to fear because we walk with a shepherd, a God who is greater than all of the shadows. We walk with a God who is stronger than death. We walk with a God who is more overwhelming than the darkness could ever be. This God travels with us down these paths, down these right paths that we've been created for and called towards. These right paths that have been pointed out before us. We don't walk them alone and we don't have to be afraid because our great shepherd goes with us. Now the path may still hurt. It may still disappoint us from time to time. It may even break our soul as we move forward it, as we move toward it. But the shepherd is with us, bringing renewal and strength and rescue and hope and peace. Still in verse four, at the end of that, it says that the shepherd will protect and comfort me. And Psalm 23 makes this incredible transition into a new metaphor. And many miss it. We have this really beautiful children's book that that walks through Psalm 23. And it's always talking about a shepherd and sheep. It never transitions into a new metaphor. But the psalm actually transitions. The, The psalmist wants us to see that there is even more to this. I actually wonder if there's a line that's left out simply because it doesn't fit the nature of poems. If if the psalmist wants us to recognize, and, and, and if that's not enough, here's more. Keep, keep reading, keep watching, keep looking. But again, that doesn't fit poetic language. So it just transitions poetically into the new metaphor, into the new transition. And in verse 5 it says, you prepare a feast for me. Leave verse 5 up for a while. You notice that there are still enemies. 
The psalmist still hasn't found easy street. Life has still not become everything that he or she might hope it is. It hasn't become easy. It is in some ways still difficult. There are still enemies surrounding. But the shepherd who has protected and provided is now transformed to a dinner host who is lavish and decadent. The New Living Translation, the one that we read from, takes the Hebrew word that is table that we've seen in some of our more traditional translations. It takes the word that is table and it transitions it. Instead of using table, it uses feast because it so well fits in the context of what the poem is telling us. This is not simply a table to stop and take a break at. This is not a table where you're going to have peanut butter and jelly. There is no baloney here. This is a feast. It is overwhelming and the illustration is supposed to fit us in that way. We're supposed to think about a God who desires to share a feast with us, a meal with us. It's intimate and overflowing. We imagine this table overflowing with more food than we can possibly imagine. A cup that's overflowing as there's so much available for us. The illustration is intentionally extravagant. Not to feed our selfish desires for more and more and more. But so that we can know that the shepherd who pointed us down right paths. That that renewed our strength. Also desires to bless us more than we can even dream is possible. Not with stuff. The point is not food and wine and anointing oil. They are all metaphors for the overwhelming way in which God wants to bless us. And in the most impressive and amazing way through God's presence. Through being in the presence of the shepherd of the host. Being in the presence of God. Psalm 23 serves for us as this beautiful reminder. For God's beloved people. For God's desperate people who are longing for hope and healing. For rescue and rest. It is this beautiful reminder that you and I are deeply loved. You are provided for. We are protected. God will take care of us. By giving us food and rest and strength. God will bring us healing and hope and peace. The psalmist reminds us that the shepherd will take care of his sheep. That the host will overwhelm us with blessing. And that all of this comes through the the truth that we find is tied through both metaphors. The string that, that brings it all together. That God will go with us every single step of the journey. That we will never be alone as we walk through all of this. As we see difficulties and dark valleys. As we sit at tables still surrounded by enemies. We are not alone. God will go with us protecting, providing, loving, guiding. And the best one is still yet to come. Chasing after us. Because verse 6 says, surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. With goodness and love or mercy is another way that 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 word can be translated. God will pursue us. The passage continues to build on itself, growing and growing and growing in its explanations of who God is and the ways in which God provides and the ways in which God loves. 
It says that the good shepherd will provide, protect us, renew us. And then the psalmist says, but wait, but wait, there's more. There's more. Because the lavish host will throw a party for us and with us. But wait, wait, there's, there's more that you have to do. With goodness and mercy, God will chase after us. Every day of our life and beyond. All the way into eternity. God wants us in his presence. God wants to be in our presence. God wants us to join him in rest and provision and goodness and love. God wants us to journey with him. God wants us to trust him. God wants us to follow him. And more than anything else, God wants us to be with him. Deeply in love with him. Experiencing what it means to be deeply loved by him. Because God understands that in the presence of God, we can be transformed into all that God has created us to be. Into all that God has dreamed that we would ever be. I want to read to you Psalm 23 again. And I'm well aware that some of us would prefer that we read it in a traditional translation that we're familiar with. But intentionally, I want to read it from a a paraphrase that perhaps you're less familiar with so that it breaks us from the routine of simply reciting the words. The same reason we use some different words with the Lord's Prayer. So that it breaks us from the rhythm of simply reciting and forces us to pay attention to the words. Listen as I read to you Psalm 23 from the message. God, my shepherd, I don't need a thing. You have bedded me down in lush meadows. You find me quiet pools to drink from. True to your word, you let me catch my breath and send me in the right direction. Even when the way goes through Death Valley, I'm not afraid when you walk by my side. Your trusty shepherd's crook makes me feel secure. You serve me a six-course dinner right in front of my enemies. You revive my drooping head. My cup brims with blessing. Your beauty... And love chase after me every day of my life. I'm back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. Pray with me, would you? Jesus, bring us rest and renewal. Bring us strength and hope and peace. Remind us that there is promise and possibility when it seems that all is gone. As some of us are experiencing... Some of our darkest days.
remind us through the scriptures, through the presence of the Holy Spirit, through the power of your love, through the faithfulness of the body, remind us we are not alone, even in this. We are guided and guarded. We are protected. We are strengthened. We are renewed. We are chased by the grace and love and mercy and beauty of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.